This Week in HPC. Penguin announces Knight's Landing Platform. And Mellanox goes multi-host. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC is distributed in partnership with our friends at Top500.org. How's it going, Michael? Very well, Addison. You know, Michael, this week was the uh, OCP, or Open Compute Platform Conference here in Silicon Valley. And, uh, you know, you think of it as a hyperscale event, which, of course, hyperscale market does use some HPC technologies, but the interesting thing was we saw some announcements coming out of that conference that really were uh, quite relevant to what we track in HPC, starting with a open platform getting announced there uh, for the Intel Knights landing chip or the Intel Xeon Phi chip uh, by Penguin. Yeah, Penguin's actually been in the open compute project uh frame for a while. Uh, a couple of years ago, they announced the system with just vanilla Xeons uh, for their open Compute Project server. So, they're, they're well aware of, of the work being being done there, and they want to leverage that uh, those design points for HPC. As as we sort of know, the Open Compute Project is was spearheaded by Facebook, and it's being used primarily for hyperscale uh, customers with these very stripped-down, dense, and energy-efficient uh, designs. But uh, it also can be used for HPC, and, and Penguin's been interested in this, uh, these designs for a while, and they just announced this new one. Yeah. Furthermore, we've we've known that Knight's Landing is coming not just as an accelerator, but as a standalone processor as we continue this transition into the uh, heterogeneous many-core era. We're now looking forward to uh, these many-core Knight's Landing processors coming out from Intel as, as standalone chips. And what we have here is a motherboard from Intel that can be uh, put into an OCP-compliant platform that Penguin's going to offer in their, their Tundra clusters. Right. This this, uh, this Tundra product line, which Penguin Computing's had for a while, they've got one for the Xeon, and this new one uh, that they, they talked about this week is going to have have uh, the Knight's Landing Xeon Phi as the as a as a bootable chip on this motherboard, and this is motherboard is being supplied by Intel, as you said. Uh, but the whole the whole server infrastructure will just be Xeon Phi, so there's no uh, there's no Xeon as the host processor. These are applications which can take advantage of of this many-core architecture just using the, uh, the Xeon Phi's. Now, that's you know interesting in its own right, but I think there are a few layers to this that bear a little bit of analysis. First of all, with regards to it being OCP compliant, as you were leading into in the, in the run-up to this story, this is something we normally associate with Facebook and the hyperscale side, but you know, is that an area where you really thought you'd see these many-core processors? Well, no. I mean, I don't think uh, I mean, you might see these many-core processors someday in in the Googles and the Facebooks of the world if they do certain types of processing, certain types of data mining or image recognition or some other type of of uh, 
very specialized analytics, but right, the, but not the not the web serving itself or the search or those very parallel applications. I'm with you. You might see it on the the analytics side or, or some of the the uh, other specialty applications that are behind the scenes at a hyperscale organization. Right. In fact, uh, at the, at the summit, they announced a new server platform using what they're calling the Xeon D system on chip. Uh, Processors. These are sort of stripped-down Xeons that are, you know, tailor-made for sort of these low-power, energy-efficient uh, web-serving applications. And then there's a specific way to optimize chips for for such an application, since there's, you know, basically so many. Uh, so many companies doing this type of, of processing, and, and there's literally millions of chips that that are represented here. I mean, there's a good reason for Intel to, to specialize in that. But that's that's sort of on the other side of what a what a Knight's Landing would be, or, or a Xeon Phi. That's a, a low-power chip with very little floating point or less floating point uh, power than certainly a, a Xeon would have. So it's sort of the the inverse side of it. But the Penguin. For offering here is specifically for for HPC, and they're just leveraging the open compute infrastructure, basically the free design. It's open, so it's basically free for anybody to use. Um, and basically, they just buy the parts, in this case from Intel and from other component makers, to build these servers, and they can come up with uh, basically a a very cost-efficient uh, server design for their customers. Yeah, but double-clicking on a couple of the points that you just made, I, I get what's in it for Intel, right? For Intel, they want to see a standardized platform for these Knight's Landing uh, processors, and for them, it makes a lot of sense. You, you go with this OCP standard, you're right. saying, here's here's this great solution. I don't really get why Penguin or, or what's in it for Penguin. I, I have to wonder whether Intel would have rather seen someone else also announce a platform here beyond Penguin. I, you point out Penguin is the only HPC vendor that, that's shown up here with at this point with this uh, with this platform. And I think that's a, a valid point. But in the long term for Penguin, I worry about what their competitive advantage is versus anyone else who might go do the same thing, whether it's a Lenovo or a Huawei or a Supermicro. And then from Intel's perspective, you know, Penguin's very nice. They're they're you know an HPC vendor, but they're about one percent of the the server market in HPC. We just put out our, our newest HPC user site census to our clients. They still show up as about one percent of survey respondents. They're about one percent of the market by revenue. Would you know? Would Intel have rather had another partner here? Well, sure. I think Intel would. I think Intel would have loved if HP and Dell and Lenovo would have come up and said, "We're going to we're going to make OCP servers too, and we're going to use the Xeon Phi and and your motherboard to do that." The the thing is, those those companies already have their own designs and their own design teams to build servers. So, uh, and and dense and energy efficient servers, the same type of of design criteria that's driving the OCP. Specs. Um, now they could adopt it, but part of the value add for those big companies is to have their own designs um, at the expense of compatibility, obviously. But it does have that value, and you know they could dump their engineering design teams and go to OCP. But that's not the kind of companies they are at this point. Not that yeah. they won't come up and do that, but 
that's not what they're doing right now. Kind of worries me for Penguin's standpoint, though, because if that's what Penguin is saying it is, that we're going to be the best company for using somebody else's design. I, I just don't know how long-term sustainable that is. Well, they have their own designs as well. This is just one of their product lines. But it allows them to to venture into this territory without having to do the the system development work that would otherwise need to be done. It's sort of a, uh, a back-end way to do this for, uh, you know, no cost and just assemble these parts. And since nobody else is doing it at this point, there's really nobody to compete with for this particular server design. Um, well, th- there you go. It will give them a, a first-mover advantage with regards to this. And to the extent that everybody's looking forward to what are these Knights platform uh, systems going to look like, to have Penguin uh, the first to raise its hand and say, we can offer them to you when these processors become available, that I do get. And uh, maybe Penguin can see a little bump there. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see if they get traction on these these uh, servers aren't going to come out we presumably until after the uh, the ninth landing themselves come out which is the second half of this year 2015 so we're not going to see these probably t- towards the end of the year but uh, it'll be interesting to see if some customers decide to to kick the tires on these not that there won't be other ninth landing platforms out there they just at, at this point, as far as we know, won't be uh, OCP standard platforms. There'll be nice landing in you know, whatever designs these other vendors come up with. Uh, well, it's a good point, and we've been talking about um, what, you know, this platform coming out. We should give some of the specs on it. You've got those in front of you. Yeah, I mean, this isn't actually a standard rack anymore. The, the OCP right, uh, good point. is... Standard is non-standard. The standard is non-standard. It's like a that used to be the 19-inch pizza boxes. This is actually, they've, they've widened it a little bit, at least for the second version, it's 21 inches wide, and they're not quite 42U high. But it's still about the same size, and you can get uh, basically three nodes per per unit, per server unit, and 40 units high. And the way this works out, with three-plus teraflops per, uh, per night's landing in a rack, you can get about 243 teraflops double precision uh, for for this this tundra beast that uh, penguins making. Well, that's a pretty beefy rack. It, it is about 10% wider, as you're saying, although that number, again, failed to blow me away. There must be some kind of configuration difference, but I remember looking at the Xeon Phi racks from RSC back at Supercomputing, where they had first announced a petaflop in a rack and then going to 1.2 petaflops in a rack with Xeon Phi. So there's some kind of difference there. Yeah, which just points to the fact that there are different designs, there's different ways to economize on on density, and uh, RSC managed to do it with the uh, the current version or the older version of the of the uh, Xeon Phi. So there's there's different ways to pack it, but still 243 teraflops per rack. It is, is a lot. Is very impressive, and built by uh, basically a tier two company. It's it's quite nice. It is a lot. It does underscore the point that I can't think of a system vendor out there right now that doesn't claim to be the densest, most efficient system, most power-efficient system out there. That's the that's the claim du jour. Everybody's the densest and most efficient. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. Also coming out of OCP this week, we got uh, pre-briefed on a bunch of interesting stories from Mellanox, but the most compelling to me was their new ConnectX 4 with multi-host capabilities. 
Yeah, that's a very interesting technology. They've, uh, they've sort of handed around it before, but basically what they can do now with their new Connect X4 adapter is they can basically field up to four CPUs or GPUs uh, per, per NIC. So they can just put one one adapter on the board, and you can have four processors, and they can all be using the uh, the network through that one that one NIC, which is very convenient when you have a lot of the bandwidth on these Connect Connect Four adapters, the, the Connect X Four, which is 100 gigabits per second. So if you don't need all of that bandwidth for your two CPUs or even up to four CPUs or GPUs, you can spread it out so you can get 25 gigabits per second per uh, per CPU, or you could, if you have two, you can get 50, which is very adequate and at, at very decent latency. So this gives you a lot more flexibility and saves uh, quite a bit of money on on cabling and and the adapters themselves over conventional uh, configurations. I think that's exactly the point. When you look at the direction, we were just talking about these dense servers. When you go to more uh, servers that have four CPU sockets or that have four GPUs in a server, the idea that each of those processing elements doesn't require its own network interface card. I have a four-socket server, but that server still only requires one NIC. Now you're talking about at a, at a large cluster level, I only have a core quarter of the uh, of the ports or a quarter of the cables a quarter of the NICs and overall that saves uh, you know in infrastructure it makes the whole system uh, denser it saves you know cost and weight in all the cables uh, you know it's a it's a good development plus this uh, this technology also has the the added advantage it can it can work on basically any of the common CPUs available so it can work on x86s it can work on uh, ARM processors. You can work on the, the power processors like the Power 8. Um, you can also work on uh, with with GPUs or even FPGA. So it'll, it's basically a, a multi a multilingual type uh, technology as well. And then theoretically, the, you could have a, a server with uh, all four or five. Uh, architectures on the same board and it would talk to all of those and it would be unbeknownst to the application working or the or the network stack the, theoretically although I don't think we're likely to see that exact architecture this heterogeneous era you don't know exactly what configuration you're going to see uh, then they're also implementing some of the features you've come to associate with the Mellanox adapters uh, onto uh, these uh, this multi-host NIC like for example uh, direct RDM GPU Direct RDMA, this now gives you another option for uh, the multipath communication or the GPU to GPU communication where they're now sharing a common NIC. Right, exactly. And uh, it, it also works right. And in the same way, uh, the CPU, the CPUs don't have to talk, let's say, if it's an x86 through the, uh, the QPI link anymore. You can now talk through this this connect x4 link from cpu to cpu at, uh, in a in a much more streamlined way 
I'll tell you what I think is the most important thing about this announcement isn't just about the the specs of this adapter and what it can do today. Although there, you know, Mellanox certainly uh, is going to put out their their performance claims, and and those are the important things that are going to lead them in HPC right now. But I start looking forward to the competitive dynamics in this industry, and Mellanox needs to be plotting out how it competes with Intel's OmniPath on an ongoing basis, and that includes putting forward an argument for why the NIC has to be off the chip. And here, by going to a multi-host heterogeneous NIC, that does that. That makes that compelling argument to me that says, this is better than building a, uh, building a NIC on the chip with the CPU because you get this other functionality. Now, you can either buy into that or not buy into that, but you have to view this as a competitive, preemptive competitive strike against OmniPath. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it is a it is a counter to the integrated uh, adapter technology that Intel's going to come up with this year. I don't think it answers all of the all of the limitations of that, but it does offer the flexibility that cannot be offered on an integrated uh, an integrated design, and that's always sort of the the balance that you achieve when you do integration on chip. You lose some of the flexibility because now you've sort of got this dedicated resource on the chip. Um, whereas if it's if it's discrete part, you can you can sort of mix and match things and do them differently. And Mellanox has taken advantage of that here and saying you know not only do we have a discrete part with uh, a different capability, but we can actually be flexible enough to do multiple chips and disaggregate disaggregate the network even more than you would get for, um, for, for a dedicated design. The thing is, I think this isn't the complete answer. Mellanox will eventually have to compete head to head with, uh, with Intel, with uh, the integrated the integrated technology, um, this in, if, especially in HPC, where sort of bandwidth uh, and latency performance are, are paramount, um, the the most demanding users are going to want the maximum bandwidth and the lowest latency per processor. And the only way to get that is to sort of dedicate one uh, per CPU or per GPU. And to do that, you're going to have to eventually do some sort of integration, or at least in the same package as, as those chips. I agreed with your premise, but not your conclusion. I, I, I agree that they're going to have to uh, compete, but you know where I think this would have broken down for Mellanox. I'll go so far as to say that without this multi-host capability off-chip, it would have been very difficult for them to compete with OmniPath on an ongoing basis, regardless of performance. That you know the integration of OmniPath on-chip uh, was just going to be too much of an advantage uh, in itself, unless Mellanox introduces these other capabilities. Now that they have it, it brings your other point about performance back into the game, where the end user will want to evaluate what really is the best solution. I think it makes it a ball game again. Uh, it makes it hard to predict what the eventual winning solution is. Uh, to your point uh, that I will agree with, it's really hard to compete against the integration strategy that Intel is going to present with OmniPath. Yeah, I think integration is going to be 
sort of the big story in the next five or ten years. A lot of a lot more capabilities are going to go on chip, and you do lose some of the flexibility when you do that. But you gain so much in performance that I, I think eventually integration is going to win out in HPC. It's it's everything's going to be system on chip, and if if you don't sort of buy into that game, I I, I think you're going to uh, you're going to limit what you can do. We're running long on the podcast, but there were a few other aspects of this set of Mellanox announcements I did want to get in quickly. First, that Mellanox was among the companies uh, announcing an open optics multi-source agreement, which has to do with a uh, single-mode fiber and a set of specifications for uh, cloud-type providers or, or long-haul networking up to two kilometers, which it's not that long-haul, but it basically says right. it'll cover your whole facility. Right, exactly. Yeah, they, they brought this 100 gig uh, uh, wave wavelength division multiplexing technology and sort of made it made a, a, a standard for it that's economical, or they're saying it's economical using single mode fiber infrastructure. And this will go and scale out someday to 400 gig and even up to one one terabit per second. So it's it's a standard that uh, Mellanox is supporting and. Going forward, and uh, and I think it's uh, being promoted by Microsoft as well. And Mellanox also announced uh, the addition of switch abstraction interfaces to its open Ethernet switches. This was part of the OCP types of announcements. Again, this makes it OCP compliant, but basically gives them the ability to manage uh, uh, open Ethernet through their switches. Yeah, that that'll be useful for as people move to these sort of generic switches, <clears throat> uh, putting standard operating systems on top, and and using some of these standard interfaces to to move things around. Uh, I think that's a, a, another sort of move forward to the more commodity switch uh, infrastructure. Well, there you have it. You get a lot of HPC news coming out of uh, the Open Compute Project. Uh, this is going to be a, an ongoing thing, I think, where where we see a, a lot of influence from the hyperscale space into HPC. Yeah, we're starting to see that. And uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. The Open Compute Project is, is going to have some impacts on, on our little neck of the woods. All right, Michael. Well, thanks for digging into those stories with me. And thanks to everybody for listening. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 